0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. 1
1: Corinthians chapter 7, and let's begin reading. I'm reading from the New King James Version, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, So, evidently, the Corinthians had written to Paul. He said, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, of course, he's going to get into the hormones, the temptation for sexual things and such. But notice what he said. He said, It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, let each man have his own wife. Now, this is going to relate to something else, but let me just say, I believe that we even in the body of Christ need to be somewhat cautious, but not overly uh, strange or awkward, but somewhat cautious about even the touching that goes on among people. In other words, here's a man who is married to somebody, here's a woman who's married to somebody else, and sometimes in brotherly love, there's some hugging going on, but you know. Our minds, because we are carnal and fleshly, which is what Paul's talking about, there are these passions that happen inside of us. Sometimes they're just it it stirs up thoughts. The way that touching happens stirs up thoughts. And you know, the Lord doesn't want us to do that toward one another, certainly not intentionally. You know, He knows the motives of our hearts. But even if we think about the fact that this could stir up some kind of thought. Now we're not even talking about necessarily stirring up an attraction, but I've seen it happen to where uh, there's some touching going on and I've counseled enough people that have actually fallen into adultery, but it all started with a little touching here and maybe sitting at a table and the knees touching and such, but then it makes the other one think, did that person do this on purpose? and uh, Or what are they thinking? Do they, are they attracted to me? And see, it may have been innocent, but sometimes it's not. But I tell you what, we we want to protect each other. And so Paul just sort of takes it to the extreme in his language and said, it's just good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, each person should have their own wife. In other words, that's who you're touching. Now, he's going to talk about sexual things. So, of course, he is, it's going beyond just touching. And I think, again, it, we could uh, take it to the extreme and be really awkward. However... I think everybody would understand that there is some hugging in the body of Christ and such that could be innocent on one person's part, but the other person, it makes them think, hmm, I wonder if they hugged me that way, uh, you know, pressing chest to chest, male and female, I wonder if they hugged me that way for this reason or that reason, I wonder what they're thinking, and all of those thoughts become a distraction, and here it may even be happening at church on the campus. Uh, or in a, in a home church, and yet these thoughts, this distracts, we should be able to come and get rid of all of those thoughts, because those thoughts come to everybody. Those, those kind of thoughts, they cross our minds, and they come to everybody, just looking at a person. You don't even have to touch them, just looking, but if you just look a little too long, uh, then somebody may be thinking, I wonder why they were looking at me so long. All of these things, Paul is cautioning the body of Christ and saying, look, because we're in the flesh, because we're human beings, because we were created with passions, we were created to have attractions, our hearts are vulnerable to these things. And so Paul is saying, look, we need to be careful about these kinds of things because sexual things will pull us in very quickly, even if it's just thinking inside even if it's just thinking. So he goes on, he says, it's good for a man not to even touch a woman. Now that's talking about any woman. Paul is going to really get down to the point to say, it'd be better if you didn't even get married. Okay, just stay single and serve God. Okay, so that's the context of this. But I think it also applies uh, with what he's talking about to us being sensitive. So I know for myself, and my wife uh, appreciates it, I don't just hug ladies any old way. I don't hug other ladies the way that I hug my wife. I'll hug my wife, you know, and just pull her in close and such because that's my wife. But I don't hug other ladies like that. Even, even when I'll give side hugs, I don't slip my arm around the waist of another lady. and some, I, I just don't do that. And there's a reason I don't do that. I don't want to even hint or uh, make somebody think that maybe I'm trying to do something. And so there's just a sensitivity, and I know different people have different guidelines and such. I'm not really trying to set a particular standard, but I'm saying that Paul brings up here that we need to be careful. And I know some people that will just blow it off and say, well, it's just no big deal. We shouldn't worry about that. Nobody's thinking. Well, people do think. I've counseled so many couples that started off with these kinds of little things like this, And one person may say, yeah, no, I wasn't thinking anything. The other person, well, I didn't know because this happened or the way that you touched my hand or whatever, our knees met under a table or our feet or whatever. I didn't know what you were thinking. And before you know it, it stirred up thoughts. And then those thoughts, the enemy uses those thoughts. And so, again, we don't want to take it to the extreme because so often Uh, we could make it more awkward by doing that. But Paul is saying, hey, look, we need to be careful about these things. And he even starts, it's good just not to touch a woman at all, but nevertheless, let a man each have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. And then he goes on in verse three to say, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise the wife to her husband. He's saying, well, when you do have a husband, when you do have a wife, well, don't let yourself get to the place where there's no intimacy. You should render, you should be ready to have intimacy and touching, affection. This would be not just sexual, but affection, because we all have the need for that. Even those that don't feel like they do, they do. They do, some more than others, but certainly everybody needs affection. They need touch and such. And so he said, let the husband do that for the wife. Let the wife do that for the husband. The wife, he goes on to say, verse four, does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, in other words, uh, a wife or a husband shouldn't say, no, nope, I'm not doing anything with you. I this is, uh, this is all me. And he's saying, wait a minute, but when you make a covenant and you come, become one together, then your bodies actually belong to each other as well now don't take that to the extreme you know I've heard instances and over the years where a certain maybe a man would say your body's mine you don't get to make the decision when we have intimacy you don't get to make the decision how this happens and such it belongs to me according to the word of God that's not what Paul is saying Because Paul also said, by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify. He goes on to say, cherish her, love her, cherish her and such. That is not loving and cherishing to be demanding to get something for yourself. That's not the heart of the Lord. The Lord doesn't do that to us, and we shouldn't do that to our spouses. But I think what Paul is trying to say is there is a ditch on both sides of this road. Don't get in the ditch on the side of withholding and don't get on the in the ditch on the side of demanding. We need to walk in love and be on the road that God intended for a loving marriage. And uh, there are times when, you know, someone's just not feeling well and such and, uh, in a marriage. But nonetheless, he is saying, but outside of those times this is appropriate for married couples to have intimacy, and it helps them not to have this uh, pent-up passion inside and uh, sexual desire outside of marriage because they're having fulfillment inside of marriage. It it makes sense, and so what he's saying is pretty straightforward. So he goes on to say now, verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. In other words, talk about this uh, if there's going to be a time of non activity uh, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Sometimes we're going to fast and pray, not just food, but other things. And he said, But talk about it. Don't just decide on your own and inform the other, but, but talk about it so that there can be a sensitivity to one another. He said, And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self control. So notice Paul admits. That it's because of lack of self-control because if you were really fully spirit-filled and spirit-led and had the fruit of the spirit called self-control, it wouldn't matter if your spouse completely cut you off forever, you would be walking in self-control. But Paul is acknowledging here saying that's not the reality. The reality is we are people and often we're not able to control our own uh, bodies, our own flesh and such. And He's saying, but it needs to be controlled. So if you're married, then you need to be having intimacy on a regular basis so that you're not going out being used to being intimate, and then you go without it, and then your body is still craving that, so to speak. This is kind of awkward to be talking about, by the way, with whoever out there is listening, but we're just reading the Bible, and this is what the Bible talks about. Don't you love it that God talks about real life? I mean, right down where we live in our lives and marriages and sexuality and such. Verse 6, But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself. Talking about single I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. In other words, unmarried. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. In other words, if you can't just stay uh, without sexual activity, then he said, you better get married. Why? Because otherwise that's fornication. And that's not acceptable to the Lord. So it says, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. See, so this is pretty strong language here. But this is what the Bible is teaching us, that when you get married, you're in blood covenant together. And this is not just something that, uh, while it's convenient, we're together. But after that, well, it, this is just not working. I don't feel the same. I don't love her anymore. It, we're just not compatible, etc., cetera, et cetera. Well, that's what you pray about and think about before you make a covenant. But once you're in blood covenant, uh, the Bible says the two become one. Now, are there cases of abuse? Are there cases of harm? Uh, where somebody is actually at risk and such, where there needs to be some separation? Well, certainly there are, and that's more to discuss in just our reading of this chapter. But nevertheless, you can see the, the value that the Bible puts, that God puts on marriage, that marriage covenant. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say... If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, in other words, if the unbelieving wife doesn't want to leave, then let him not not divorce her. If she's willing to stay, even if she doesn't believe in the Lord, even if she's not walking in the ways of the Lord, he said, let him not divorce her. Why? Because she's willing to remain in this covenant and in this marriage. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified or set apart by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified or set apart by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. In other words, if you believe a believer are married to an unbeliever and they don't want to be married, sometimes they they will say, no, I don't want to serve God. I don't want to be married to somebody serving God. I'm leaving. And so it goes on to say, uh, if that happens, then you can let them depart. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. So God says, look, it wasn't your decision. They made the decision. But don't try don't try to force them to stay. Don't try to force them. Let them go. You're not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. So let there be peace and let them go. Four, how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O oh husband, whether you will save your wife? Saying, uh, by staying with them, by having peace, by walking in love, either direction that they decide to go, how do you know that by walking in the ways of the Lord you won't win them? You don't know, even if they're hard-hearted. I've seen this happen in the soul of many of you, where the Lord used one to bring salvation to the other verse 17 but as god has distributed to each one as the lord has called each one so let him walk and so i ordain in all the churches was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while uh, while a slave is the Lord's freedman. So if you're a slave, he said, and of course there were lots of slaves back in those days, he said, you're the Lord's freedman, even as a slave. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. He's saying, so spiritually we're all on the same playing field. He said, you were bought at a price, do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that same excuse me, in that state in which he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, marry you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. You know what's interesting as a pastor is I'll uh, often counsel married couples because they want to get, uh, because they don't know what to do with their spouse. And some of them want to get out of the marriage. And I'll often counsel single people because they want to get married and they're looking for that spouse. And so here he says, look, if you're single, don't seek to get married because. You, you think it's just going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. You've got two different people with two different perspectives in the home. Okay, so uh, I need to move a little quickly, and some of this is going to be uh, a little redundant, repetitive, though it does have other detail. But verse 29 says, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on even those who have wives should be as those who have none. Those who weep as those who did not weep. Those who rejoice as those Uh, as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is married cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is Excuse me. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please the world. That doesn't mean necessarily worldly. That just means that you have to care about natural things. Now you got to take out the trash. you got, as has said, a honey-do list, and that can go both ways. You have more things that you have to do because you're responsible to another person, not just to make your own decisions and to care for yourself. So he goes on to say, care for the world how he may please his wife. Verse 34, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, more natural things by necessity, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. When you get married, you're distracted in your time away from serving the Lord. You, you that are single, let me tell you, you've got more time to serve the Lord. You've got more time to give to Him, and so I want to encourage you to take that time. My time before I was married uh, was enormously impactful Not only then, but today, because I spent so much time with the Lord, so much time in His Word, and this set the course for my life going forward. Verse 36 But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, uh, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. Now, this would be talking really about a father with a daughter and whether or not he's going to give that daughter away in marriage he does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has the power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, talking about his virgin daughter, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So he's saying, really, Paul is an advocate for people remaining single and serving the Lord with all their hearts. And he's saying, look, uh, and let me, let me apply this to today's day and age, because this is a different day and a different culture that God is speaking to than the culture that Paul was in. But he's saying, look, if, if you tell your daughter, serve the Lord, give yourself completely to him, and she decides that she's not going to pursue marriage, she's just going to serve the Lord. And listen, even if that's just for a season of time, to say, I'll get married one day, but right now, I know some ladies particularly, that have given themselves to the Lord, and they have been able to have a profound impact in ministry before marriage. And some years went on, and they just cast all their care that they were going to miss out and all that over on the Lord, and they were able to really pursue some things for the kingdom of God that they would not have been able to do with such passion and with such focus if they were married. That's just the reality of it. And so we watch that happen, whether for a lifetime, some people have done that, not as many, but some people have committed their whole life, but others have just done it for a season. And so Paul is talking about this with fathers. I don't think in the culture that we're in right now that God is expecting fathers to make the final decision, you will or will not get married and such. But I do think that this applies in principle to us that it is good when it's available for daughters and particularly daughters, but this would be for sons as well, to want the approval of the parents. There's something about the honor. Now, it doesn't always work that way. There are exceptions to these things because of unbelieving parents and or whatever, there are other circumstances that we won't have time to consider right now. But nonetheless, it's a beautiful thing when it can happen, and it's amazing what happens when you honor. So often, it'll endear their hearts and make them want to do right and make the right decisions. So goes on to say in verse thirty nine, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. This is important. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband live, lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whomever she wishes only in the Lord. In other words Uh, As long as your husband or wife is alive, that you made a covenant to them, but if they die, uh, he goes on to say, you can remarry, but only in the Lord. You can't just marry an unbeliever and, uh, and that be the will of God. So, but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the spirit of God. So Paul's still advocating this to say, let me just throw it in there one more time. I think it'd be better if you don't marry so you can really give yourself to the Lord. And of course, Paul did that. You can see his heart coming out. He's giving giving himself to the Lord uh, to be uh, the man of God, the apostle. And of course, we've got all these books uh, that come from his life of giving himself to the Lord. All right, uh, there was a long chapter, but I think we've covered it. Look forward to 1 Corinthians chapter eight.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give.